Hello and welcome to the UC Architects Podcast. This is episode 25, recorded Sunday, July 28th, 2013. I'm your host, Pat Richard, and today I'm joined by my uh, band of uh, brothers here, Dave Stork, Tom Arbuthnot, Johan Valdis, and John Cook. Welcome, guys. Dave, what's been happening with you lately? Hi, hi. Thanks, uh, Pat, for having me uh, again on the show. Um... Well, um, nothing, nothing major project. Just uh, uh, some uh, little uh, uh, things. Uh, I'm, I'm currently uh, studying for a link exam, um, and I have done uh, uh, Office 365 deployment with uh, uh, Azure uh, combined. So some some uh, non-exchange stuff, uh, but uh, pretty much uh, very interesting and new, new stuff for me. So that's uh, uh, invigorating, actually. <laughs> Uh, which uh, which link exam are you looking at? Well, uh, link twenty thirteen core, uh, but uh, I obviously going to do the uh, advanced uh, in a later stage, and uh, eventually I have to also take the uh, Windows Server twenty twelve exams, or uh, just the uh, four seventeen upgrade exam, and then I'll have all the MCSC uh, certifications of uh, communication and messaging. So, uh, oh, excellent. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the the first ex- the link exam seventy dash three thirty six I think that one wasn't bad uh, yeah. when you when you get to the other one well yeah that's another <laughs> my story. I finally passed it what last week yeah uh, I yeah. was it my second try <laughs> yeah it's not it, that one's not pleasant but I'm glad to be over with it well, I'm I'm mostly worried about enterprise voice which is pretty, I think a uh, quite of a big big portion of that exam so. Yeah, yeah. There's a lot of regex, uh, not tons, but there's enough to. You have to remember how to do even basic regex, which is not my favorite thing to do. Yeah, the regex stuff. I think most of the answers they were somewhat easy to kind of figure out which one was supposed to be right. Uh, but I will tell you, in in the seventy three three seven exam, there's at least two questions that are blatantly wrong. And uh, no, that, I think there's probably more than that. But yeah, well, two two that I saw. And uh, that was somewhat irritating. But uh, let me know if you need any help, Dave. I've got plenty of uh, materials I used for uh, for taking that. Okay, cool. Thank you very much. Yep. Uh, Tom, you're up. What's uh, what's happening on your side of the planet? Yeah, hey, guys. Yeah, it's been a, been a few shows since I've been on, so uh, glad it fit the timing this week. Um, what's been happening? Well, we had a really good London user group a couple of weeks ago. Um, had about 40 people turn out to that, which is always always nice to see. Um, other than that, I've just been busy with project stuff, uh, still doing call recording for Link with Actience, and uh, just starting to toy with a bit of um, Compatella for switchboard attendance in one of my installs. Yeah, I'd be interested to hear how that goes, uh, you know, based on our conversation from the other day about uh, attending consoles and what's available and what works and what doesn't. Yeah, we've had a, we've had a real a play with a few things on the market, and uh, my front runner at the moment is Compatella, so we're we're putting it in front of users in the next few weeks. So we'll see how we get on. Good, good. Uh, Johan, how are you, buddy? Oh, I'm fine, thanks, Pat. It's all pretty busy with a large exchange project, and also looking at a nice uh, link upgrade from Link Server 2010 to 2013. So, it's pretty busy. Oh, okay. Upgrades are always fun. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, and John, uh, you went to the Chicago user group meeting, so lots of user group stuff going on, but uh, how are you today? Good, good, good to be on. Um, yeah, uh, uh, we had the uh, Chicago user group meeting uh, on Thursday last week um, in Chicago. It was good stuff, really good presentations, um, good uh Good turnout. So um, definitely, when you see these coming to your cities, and if we can put up a link to the uh, main site, we <clears throat> you know schedules. But generally, they try to do them in a bunch of the cities that they they have covered uh, quarterly. From what uh, Jeff was saying, so um, definitely worth checking out if one comes to your town. Um, other than that, I'm working um, on link voice stuff. Some unfortunately some QMM stuff, which is still the bane of my existence. Um, and then next weekend is Lollapalooza, so don't no one bother me because I'm going to be <laughs> on a platform probably dancing. So definitely check that out. Oh, that's that's not a that's not a site I want to see. <laughs> probably not. I don't want to see. <laughs> but uh, but you mentioned the user groups and and uh, yeah, I went to the Detroit user group um, 
meeting in the last week or so and and they're all kind of connected together so we've had uh, kevin peters on before and randy wintle and the two of them and adam curry uh set up their nonprofit organization to right. kind of bring user group meetings uh to various areas throughout the country and uh and they've done a fabulous job and uh you know john you said there was uh, quite a few people at the uh, chicago meeting uh, i heard there was almost uh, 60 people at the first meeting uh, for the new group in San Francisco, and there were several dozen uh, where I went. So uh, if you get a chance, go to linkusersgroup.com, and you can find uh, a user group meeting uh, near you. And uh, heading into uh, our information about Exchange for this episode, Microsoft has done it again. They are going to reissue yet another cumulative update for Exchange, uh, cumulative update number two, which was uh, released a while back. Um, and shortly after it's released, uh, an issue was identified where if you moved public folders uh, between databases, uh, you would lose you could lose some public folder permissions. And this caused uh, problems for a lot of people. And originally, uh, Microsoft said that they were going to come out with a hot fix for that. And uh, Microsoft is now backtracking on that and saying that they are going to reissue cumulative update number two. And uh, that will happen on the 29th of July, uh, which uh, is tomorrow based on this recording. So uh, has anybody run into this public folder issue? Uh, no, because we don't have any public folders anymore. <laughs> <laughs> They're evil. Yeah, yeah. No, no, but uh, it did worry me. Uh, well, we we just implemented uh, CU2 internally, um, and uh, I was a bit worried about, well, okay, now now we've noticed this issue. Okay, I don't, we don't have any public folders, so I'm in the clear, but still, I didn't feel very comfortable with that announcement because that really bring back uh, memory of, of, of those uh, previous re release updates with version 2 and even in one case version 3 and uh, well I, I, I'm not and, and, and uh, I, I personally prefer the hotfix because I already installed or uh, the, our, our admin already installed CO2 and to uh, install a CO2 version 2 again and then have to configure or uh, you know, re-establish re the, the link integration in webmail and, and, and stuff like that. Um, I hope it, well, uh, I'm not quite happy. <laughs> yeah, and unfortunately this is becoming a trend with uh, um, service packs and updates and cumulative updates and everything where they have to backtrack and, and, and reissue these, you know, like you mentioned. Um, hopefully this fixes a problem and like you, we, you know, we don't have any public folders, so it didn't impact us. Um, but we were, uh, well, we were no, in the we, middle of, uh, of some migration projects for customers and, and we held, held up on deploying CU2 and it's nice to know that, uh, that an issue is, is, uh, being addressed and that, uh, we'll be able to go ahead and, and get people upgraded. Yeah, well, and, and, and to some benefit to Microsoft, they did uh, publicly announce this uh, within a week, I think, or something like that. So if you uh, were to have a two-week uh, waiting period, at least, uh, for for uh, these kinds of updates, then uh, you probably uh, have heard about this and didn't install it. So we were a bit quick with that. Uh, so still, um, that uh, uh, advice that was given by many exchange uh, specialists uh, about waiting two weeks at least and testing it in a lab it's it's still current uh, as this uh, situation uh, uh, demonstrates but well it it, it also doesn't doesn't remind me about the uh, public folder issue they had in uh, exchange 2010 and when I th but i think in that case you lost information contained in the public folder so only uh, only permissions is well luckily not that bad but still yeah it's sad glad that it's being addressed but uh definitely goes towards quality testing before uh, deploying and if you've 
If you've already deployed CU2, the recommendation is going to be that you apply the new build of CU2 on top of it. If you have not deployed CU2, then it's recommended to just deploy the new build. So hopefully, uh, hopefully the issues are gone with uh, with that once and for all. And of course, and you just, know, public just... folders are evil, so get rid of them. <laughs> yeah, yeah well, that, this demonstrates that again. Uh, and and to be clear, uh, uh, a cumulative update cannot be uh, uninstalled. If you do that, right. then you will uninstall Exchange from your server. So do mind that. So if you if you have public folders and you have installed CU2, just wait for the uh, updated CU2. Yep, good advice. Yeah, and then wait another wait another two weeks. Uh, if yeah, they exactly. don't find <laughs> issues <Exactly>. again, <laughs> and then deploy it in a test lab. Exactly. Yep. Uh, next up, IIS AAR for Exchange. Johan, tell us what that means and and how does it benefit us. Well, since we don't have a TMG anymore, uh, Microsoft has come with a solution well the solution was already there but they now also uh, support it for Exchange uh, Server 2013 and it's called Application Request Routing which is an uh, IIS application which can do some URL rewriting and so it can offer uh, well load balancing and reverse proxying um as you may have seen an earlier blog post of, of Greg, Microsoft doesn't recommend uh, use of uh, pre-authentication. They don't say it's necessary anymore, which is kind of surprising because that was one of the reasons that you uh, want to implement uh, TMG. But they now have changed it completely. So the uh, new feature IIS ARR doesn't offer pre-authentication, so all the authentication is handled on the backside, and it only uh, yeah routes requests, as the name already says. Um, did an implementation with it, with it uh, a few days ago, and it's not that hard. It's good to do. You need to find your way in the in the GUI, but within 30 minutes you can configure your first proxy configuration from scratch so install it then make the necessary configuration and of course test it uh, the exchange team has uh, published a blog post about it and I think it will be a multi-part because the first one is uh, called part one which describes uh, how to install it uh, how to create a farm create the uh, server configuration changes um, that kind of stuff and, and yeah probably uh, part 2 will will come very soon so we'll have to wait for part 2 to see the offshore guidance but those who have worked with AR for link will be able to configure it for exchange 2013 because it's not that hard and maybe some specific parameters needs to be changed but uh, yeah as I read uh, part one it, it, they're not yeah, well mentioning special parameters except the interval and timeout things that are things you have to uh, really check if they are correct because else you might uh, have a, an environment which not work optimally um, yeah, that's a new solution for customers who can't use TMG anymore, besides the other solutions which are there from several low balancer vendors. Okay. And I know that in, um, in Server 2012 R2, uh, there's a new uh, feature called Web Application Proxy yeah. that, uh, yeah. you know, hopefully may allow you to kind of do the same thing too and... and uh, and get you up and running with a reverse proxy solution if you, if you can't get TMG anymore. Yeah, because it's still a, an IAS application, so. Right. Yeah. Right. Some people don't like don't like IAS, and so may don't like this application. But yeah, for customers who do have well a Windows platform and are able to use IAS, it's a nice solution for replacing TMG. But yeah, if you're still able to use TMG, well, continue to use it. 
yeah, there's no reason to move away from it if you can nope, still nope, if you already nope. have it or can get it. So yeah, um, and there, there uh, are yeah, some, yeah, I mean, there, if you have TMG today, I mean, would you recommend still going if you if you can legally use TMG? Which would you recommend still using that, or would you recommend moving to another solution? Yeah, okay. yeah. Well, it depends if you want. Okay, if your company wants to do pre-authentication for OA, for example, then I think it's the only solution at the moment because the ARR doesn't do it. It only routes traffic and it throw it, throws it to a, to a cache and the cache will, will do the rest, forward to the mailbox, etc. Yeah, if, if your company insists that users authenticate before they really connect, then this is, a, then this is not a good solution, but... Yeah, when you read yeah, and, the uh, on the subject of um, of pre auth and uh, you know in kind of relation to this, Greg Taylor wrote a good article. Up, went up on uh, uh, Exchange Blog what last week, a week before, um, kind of covering you know do you really need pre auth for Exchange and why you may not, and you know some certain discretion points along around that. So it's good good read if you haven't checked that out. And I isn't um, correct me if I'm wrong, but if you configure TMG. Uh, to to do pre auth to uh, Exchange 2013, that the OWA page that TMG presents is the 2010 page, correct? It doesn't present the 2013 page for auth. Well, that that's because uh, the the form base uh, is on um, TMG, right? And right. N- not on Exchange because on Exchange you have to uh, enable Windows integrated authentication or basic authentication. Right. Yeah. Right. The, the the same is valid for the uh, camp load balances. They also use the old GUI form from Exchange 2010. And right. Right. Okay. Interesting. It would be nice if it if you can modify it with TMG. I'm not aware you, you can modify some things, but I'm not aware that you can modify everything. So it looks like Exchange 2013. Oh, uh, that yeah. would be nice if it. I, could, if I don't it could think be. you can. I think that's one of the reasons why we got away from doing pre-auth is because we wanted to present the 2013 OWA login page. And yeah. The only way to do that was to turn pre-auth right. off. Yeah, but but as as John mentioned, the yeah, if you're uh, in the phase of replacing TMG, read the blog post of of Greg also because he he tells you what what the reasons were to use pre auth and what they did uh, improve and what the world looks right now. For example, um, a stabilizer, a more stable and secure exchange operating systems which are more secure and that kind of stuff although the, the last one might not be a good example always so but we will uh, put both uh, URLs on the uh, on summary page yes for the art so 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 our listeners can can read the articles themselves and decide what to do right good info all right and uh, John some new toys for you to play with uh iPhone and iPad uh, apps released for uh, for Exchange. Yeah, for iOS. Yeah, I'm moving away from iOS now. I just bought the new uh, Galaxy Nexus Seven, and it's so much better than anything <laughs> from Apple. That, that um, yeah. I actually did buy it, but yeah, I'm not going. I'm not dropping iOS anytime soon. I can tell you that. But um, yeah, I mean, it's uh, kind of long awaited. Um, the uh, OA app for for iOS um, has been sort of rumored and those of us have had you know kind of secret knowledge that it existed for a long time but um oh, I, I, I was speculating about this uh, for, for a while and, yeah 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 i think dave was um as well oh yeah you're, you're talking about it, right yeah. um uh but uh yeah no and, and we had seen it uh, a long time ago i don't know if it was at uh, uh something on the mcm related i forget where but it, it was a long long time ago and uh that's what just disappeared and it was like well is it ever going to exist again? But we know from what in 2013, there were some commandlets um, that kind of at least showed that it would exist at some point because <laughs> there were some uh, commandlets for, for turning it on and off. But, uh, but yeah, so, I mean, it came out um, sort of, like I said, by surprise. I think the first, first hit on Twitter about it was Paul Therat. And I'm like, what? And I, and even if you looked in the app store, you couldn't find it for a while. It, yeah, I followed his link and I don't know how he found it. So it was sort of a big, sort of a surprise anyway. Um, and um, the, you know, key things to, to note right now is it's not supported for on-prem. It's only supported 
Um, technically, it really does just say that it's only for 365 enterprise customers. Um, so uh, it will work on prem, but it's not supported in any way. So you know, if it doesn't, it doesn't work in it. Yeah, uh, I mean, I, they, they said changed. publicly it's coming, but yeah, today it works. But uh, some functionality is not not working for at least my testing anyway. But uh, but uh, it's pretty cool. I mean, um, it shows up as a as a, it's. It, it's e, it's EAS based. I'm sorry, EWS based, not EAS based. So it's it's all just web servers. It's not it's not an ActiveSync client. Um, so it doesn't behave in the same way as an ActiveSync client does in some ways. And and to me, there's pros and cons of that actually. But um, I can talk about that. But um, so it's all web services based. But uh, you know what the key things is it allows for the app to not only do offline mode, so you can actually save you know have have contents um, save locally to the device. Um, and not have to be online to access it. Um, and it also allows for wiping of the app, but just the app data. So just like instead like ActiveSync where, you know, you wipe the entire device if it's lost uh, and you lose everything on the phone, this only wipes the contents of, um, the, of the app itself, data. which is, yeah. yeah, which is pretty cool. And, uh, you know, obviously that's the bane of all your BYOD type scenarios where, you know, I mean, I'm pretty adamant about it. I mean, you know, if, if I'm bringing my phone and hook up to your environment, you know, you have the right to wipe your data off my device if I leave the you know contract, say whatever, or lose my device. But you know, there's a lot of stuff on my device that I really don't necessarily want wiped by by some company. And, and also, so, you know, there's a, a sense that some of these um, MDM solutions do see a lot of things on the device um, that you know, depending on you know just how you feel about you know personal data. You know, there's a lot of stuff uh, that MDM solutions can can kind of log that you may not really be happy with you know a company knowing all, all the apps you have on your machine or if you do beta testing for other stuff um you know some of those profiles and stuff for ios will be uh, captured by the mdm solution which is kind of you know you almost technically breaking your nda in that sense just by you know and you don't realize it but but um so yeah i mean it, it's certainly a good um you know uh, middle ground between having a dedicated you know um app for for exchange on ios and you know Increasing the capability set that what you can do from EAS, um, but uh, but like I said, right now not supported on prem. That's coming, and uh, um, not much else to say about it. I don't think. What um, uh, I, I've I've got some 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 points about the app, um, and and well, I I've dusted off my iPad uh, since I haven't served RT. I didn't touch it anymore, so I had to recharge it and and and, and stuff like that. Uh, um, well, there are some some. Well, f first off, it uh, looks almost exactly like uh, the uh, mobile uh, OWA from uh, Exchange 2013, especially uh, made for for iOS. So, um, as as a user interface, you can uh, actually uh, 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 mistaken the app for the, for the website, but. It certainly isn't the, the the website like like Jordan already said. Uh, it has an uh, offline mode, which is uh, uh, which is great. But only um, I've, I've I've checked. Um, uh, I'm, I'm just playing with it, and if you are in an offline mode, I just saw that it only takes the uh, current month and the next month. Um, and with the mail folders, it's not very clear. Um, whether it's um, um, a date based or uh, whether you have synced the, the folder and stuff like that. So I, I do miss some documentation on all those um, things users can uh, and should uh, expect uh, when you use this app uh, online and offline. Um, and and uh, also, for instance, um, I, I'm not sure, I don't I don't. John, perhaps you know that about that. Um, does the uh, password um, um, in, in ActiveSync you have a um, capability for an admin to enforce a pin code on the device? Is that uh, when you enforce a, a pin code with a, a policy, is that also uh, present in only the app? Or uh, do you know that? You know, it's a good question because I don't think. This app could has a mechanism to enforce policy, well, um, like EAS. not not a policy, but uh, if you go into settings, you do have uh, an option for passcode, uh, turn on passcode and turn off. Oh, so right, right. I, I I think you can force it, uh, but I, I don't have a, a policy uh, at the moment on my uh, 
Yeah, I don't have that either. So uh, I was curious if you did something with that. Um, and um, but yeah, well, it, it 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 I would like to know more about what it stores um, uh, when in offline mode because when uh, OWA for 2013 was released uh, or presented, uh, they were very clear on, on what kind of things are uh, stored on the in offline mode and uh, so users know what to expect um, and another thing is is, is something that is uh, I think quite is interesting to know and I couldn't find any information on that is that um, how is the data stored uh, within the application uh, because I think that iOS only encrypts the storage when a uh, pin code is installed uh, on the device, and before that, it's not encrypted. But correct me if I'm wrong. Um, so, uh, if a user never enters a PIN code and installs this app, um, is the storage encrypted by the app itself, or do you need the, um, uh, the, the the encryption of the device itself? Because because you don't use ActiveSync anymore, you can't enforce it on the device. So does the app something uh, like that? Yeah. And those questions uh, weren't um, uh, explicitly answered, I think. Uh, at least I didn't uh, mention or saw any mention about that. So uh, I would expect that the app would encrypt or, or something like that, but uh, I would f feel uh, somewhat more safer if they uh, publicly uh, give some more de technical details on how this app's uh, how does app work? Yeah, my understanding is it's like it's a SQLite. Um, the the the, the, you know, the, the the repository is is a SQLite based um, store, but that's really all the data I have on it right now. Yeah, um, right. You know, and you know, and it, for me, I mean, obviously, you know, we all know I'm a big uh, you know Apple fanboy, and so you know, the default mail app for good or bad hasn't changed fundamentally in so long that you know, to me, it's almost like muscle memory. You know how I move moving things yeah. between folders and stuff. So it's hard for me to like even use another app in terms of, because I'm just so used to the mail app, but I do like it. I mean, I really, you know, for, uh, in a lot of ways, I like the calendar portion of it well, a lot better yeah, well, than yeah, even the mail, you know, because it's really good looking, uh, you know, in terms of rendering the data. Especially um, the calendar has, has uh, now you have access to shared calendars. So right. that's a big improvement over, over ActiveSync. Well, and also remember, I'm, I'm still only going on the, I haven't hooked it to my, my uh, enterprise 365 plan yet, so I'm only you know I'm I'm looking at an unsupported configuration <laughs> by hooking it to on-prem. So some things might actually work on 365 that I haven't seen yet. But um, the one and the, and the other thing I don't like about it, and it's not necessarily it's not a fault of the app so much; it's more of a fault of well, let's just say it's Apple's fault. Um, is that you know there's no way to set on iOS as your default mail app, you know, outside right. of the default mail app, yeah. right? So, you know, it's not, if I hit a link to something in mail, it's going to go to the mail app, not, I can't, there's a way for me to set it to go to the OA app. So that's one, in one way, it's kind of a, you know, it's, it's kind of a limited for me. It's not just, it's not totally, you know, plugged into the OS uh, for mail uh, items, you know, at, a, at an OS level, it's sort of just a, just an app. So that's one, right. you know, kind of limited thing. And I'd like to see, um, um, you know, it's a shame because in some ways you think that it, there's no there's no there's no link functionality inside the app. But if you have the link client for iOS on there, at least it should know that the app's there and right. and allow yeah. you to you know um, you know launch the app. <laughs> yeah, right. Or yeah, that would be at the very least that would be cool. Um, but again, well, they, they, I, that might be an, they, an OS, should, that might be an iOS thing too. You know, that uh, could be. But um, uh, I'm I'm not sure if you have uh, OWA integrated with Link. Perhaps you can yeah. uh, use uh, EWS for, for that. I'm not sure whether that's possible. Well, one but, thing, and one uh, thing I no. do like is that's yeah. totally cool. Um, if you have um, OA applications um, running on your Exchange 2013 environment, right. those work um, yeah. inside, which is really cool. So, like the the conversation filer and the um, the um, message header uh, analyzer, that those all work inside the app, which is kind of crazy to think. You know, it's so really just Outlook Web Access that. You kind of for, forget your. It's just a phone, you know, um, in that sense. So I think that's really cool. It's and I, it's I, I'm, I'm a big fan of the stylization too. It's interesting that that works um, because I have not been able to get the message header uh, app to work in Office 365. 
Really? Yeah, and maybe yeah. Like I said, I'm looking on prem. Maybe maybe. And, and this is yeah, and they they say it's it's you know supported on Office 365 only right now. So it's it's interesting that that works. Right. I mean, I'd like to see I'd like to see landscape too on the on the on the phone. That I mean, that's a small nitpick, but um, I I would like to see multiple accounts. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Because that's again like going back to the default mail app. I mean, I have right now exactly. between you know except for you know. Um, um, you know, like a, a Outlook.com accounts. I probably have five or six Exchange environments. You know, all on my phone, on my phone, syncing uh, with ActiveSync, and with the calendar app, I can only see just just the one. You know, so that's that's one downside. Right. So, um, is there any features in this app that utilize the camera? <laughs> no, uh, no, and, no. That's and, not and that I know of. <laughs> the, the reason why I ask that is because I have an iPad One, and the app will not install. Yeah, because it says it doesn't have a front-facing camera. Yeah, and I think I, I was—I saw some discussions along, and I think that might just be um, Apple developers were told always if you want to make sure you know if there's if one surefire way to make sure that an app won't work for, on a certain revision of, of device, you know, put in something into the app that's looking for like some hardcore, you know, um, um, hardware feature that just is not going to be there. Right. So on iPad one, there's no camera. So if you want to make sure it, you know, it doesn't work on that device, that's an easy way to guarantee it won't install. You know, I think that might be why, as opposed to just saying, you know, you don't have the right version of right. iOS, <laughs> which, which I can't upgrade on this either because it's, it's not supported on this. But, right. Well, I think mean, it's probably, you know, it saves them three lines of code, right? <laughs> yeah. It's, it's just somewhat, baffling that it says, you know, you can't install this OWA app because you don't have a front-facing camera when, in fact, it doesn't need a front-facing camera. Right. Hmm. All right. Well, uh, you know, speaking of mobile devices, uh, there was uh, or is an issue with uh, uh, errors and failures uh, after you upgrade to Office 365. And, uh, and Johan, you've got some information about that. Yeah. It's both mobile devices and services. Uh, services are related to Exchange Web Services, which may fail with a error 500 or 503 service unavailable error. And the cause is that you are using the an incorrect URL. Um, for example, pods and then a unique number.outlook.com. Um, they've decided that you need to use other ones and for pop and imap you will need to connect to outlook.office365.com for smtp to smtp.office365.com and if you're using exchange web services you should also connect to outlook.office365.com slash eus slash blah 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 um the old urls uh, are being decommissioned so if you're using applications or devices to sync using the old url they will stop working um well in the future it's or may already have stopped uh, working um so the advice is to change the uh, the urls used by our clients and services and we will put a block a link to the well, it's a knowledge-based article, which contains all the information. Yeah, so new URLs for POP and IMAP and SMTP. Yeah, and also for the Exchange sub web services. Uh, so if you're a programmer and using Exchange web services against Office 365 and you've hard-coded a pod51.outlook.com, for example, you will need to change it to match the new URL else it won't work anymore in the future. Ah, good to know. Okay, and uh, Dave, what's happening with Zimbra? I hear there's been a big <laughs> announcement. Yeah, well, um, uh, it appears that um, uh, VMware has uh, sold uh, Zimbra and uh, the buyer is uh, intelligent, uh, perhaps known for its um, uh, blog uh, posting, uh, well, uh, social software, enterprise social software is the correct term. Um, and uh, well, Tenagent bought it, and actually, um, I'm, I'm looking at the uh, 
uh, press releases of uh, Telligent and Zimbra, and actually they are uh, going to form um, a new company. Um, they they are going to merge and going to use the Zimbra brand for all their uh, collaboration products. Um, and well, uh, the th- well when I heard this, I was uh, first a bit surprised that well, okay, is a, a big thing relatively. Um, but uh, after some while thinking about it, I think that uh, Zimbra will definitely benefit from this um, uh, merger or sale or whatever it is. Because uh, when they were with Zimbra, I didn't see anything really significant happen. Um, it it um, it it well, it just they didn't do anything with it, which. Uh, uh, yeah, I would have expected that they would um, want to try and make it a an exchange competitor, um, uh, but I always thought that the, the the combination of VMware and Zimbra was a bit odd, uh, and and so this this feels uh, promising for uh, Zimbra and uh, a lot of uh, people who don't want to use or, or are unable to use Exchange and but still want to have some collaboration and messaging. Uh, in their environment, so um, well, I'm interested to see how this uh, this further works out and whether this uh, is is uh, going to produce a very competitive uh, uh, and new and uh, reinvigorated Zimra. So uh, uh, and they stated that uh, there was already a major update planned uh, for I believe. Um, uh, uh, early next year, and that's still still uh, on track. So the current development uh, will just continue, um, and and that probably also will mean that we will have to see uh, uh, in in next year what uh, Telegram will bring to Zimbra. All right, yeah, be interesting to see. And uh, next up, we have. Um an issue with uh, Exchange 2013 CU2, where it changes the inbound proxy. And, uh, Johan, you had some information about that, and we've we've got a, uh, a post from our own uh, Paul Cunningham that we'll put up on the summary page as well. Yeah. Yeah, we discussed it uh, in an earlier episode that um, the managed availability feature of uh, Exchange 2013 uses uh, several tests to determine the uh, health of your environment. And Paul discovered that it send, sends mail to inboundproxy at inboundproxy.com and that someone had registered the, uh, the domain, but there was no mail server attached to it. Um, what Paul found out in CO2 is that Microsoft has changed it and it's now uh, performing tests aga- against uh, inbound proxy at contoso.com, which is probably Microsoft itself. And so uh, from now on, uh, it will uh, will me- will perform the test against the uh, the new email address. So it's the end of uh, the inbound proxy.com domain. So the one who bought the domain can sell it again because it will not be much worth, I think. Hmm. Interesting. Okay. Yeah, it's it, yeah, it's a nice fix. So I don't I don't know what's the decision to change the complete code, uh, but probably it has to do with uh, the ownership of the domain, which they couldn't get or something. Right. I hate when somebody else snags up those domain names. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I'm also wondering who bought the domain. <laughs> Would it be someone from the TAP program or not? <laughs> yeah, somebody from uh, from the Domino side. Yeah, or Zimbra. <laughs> yeah, or Zimbra. Domino. Yeah. What's that? Uh, and speaking of uh, uh, configuration changes, uh, I did want to bring up uh, something that uh, I, I have to keep reminding people sometimes. Um, it, in exchange. 2013, if you go in and uncheck IPv6 on your NIC properties, and that's all you do to disable IPv6, you're going to break exchange. Um, you have to go in and make the registry change as well. Uh, and we'll have we'll have a link to an article about this on the summary page. But um, first, the caveat that 
the last year or so, if not longer, the product group has said there's no reason to disable IPv6 in Exchange. It doesn't break anything if it's enabled and you're not using it. Um, but if you do choose to uh, disable IPv6 on your Exchange servers, make sure that you, uh, you, you do the registry change as well to, uh, to avoid any problems. And uh, moving along, Microsoft has released the JetStress uh, 2013 field guide, information that you need uh, surrounding using the newer version of JetStress. And uh, Johan, have you, uh, have you used that at all? Well, no, <laughs> I, don't, uh, did, I didn't have time to, uh, to use it, but uh, I read the document and it's completely updated for Exchange 2013 and for the new JetStress. Um, I thought we discussed the new jet stress in an earlier episode, but I'm not 100% sure. <clears throat> well, um, about the guide, well, it tells you how you can uh, perform a jet stress uh, on a storage uh, which you plan to use for exchange. Uh, keep in mind, it's only for greenfield storage, not for storage which are, is already in production. Um, I think there's a nice note in the document. I didn't see it in the previous one. Is that if you're planning to do it on storage, which is already in production, you will need to use uh, another tool, not just stress, but IOMeter, which is, a, I think it's open source utility, yes. which can be downloaded from the internet, which can also uh, generate uh, IOs, but yeah doesn't provide uh, as much uh, info as uh, JetStress. But right, it's, it's application agnostic. Yeah. IOMeter is. Yeah. But yeah, if you're already using the storage, yeah, again, don't use JetStress because it will, well, it may cause damage to the servers running already on the storage because JetStress, JetStress can be very IO consuming and will depending on the test that you will perform, uh, may cause several issues on your production servers. So only for Greenfield users. It, it's one of the reasons that I almost never have uh, have been able to use JetStress because all the, the, the storage uh, uh, that I had to uh, install and change on were already shared with uh, production servers. So that's... Uh, yeah, yeah. That's, that's sometimes that's a, yeah, really a pity because you tell the customer, okay, we use the calculator and we, well, the, the 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 numbers we are using, which we received from you and got it from your environment, say we need this kind of IOPS and that kind of stuff. And then you normally want to measure if the storage really uh, can handle all those things. And yeah, in those cases, you can't use JetStress, as, as you mentioned, Dave, because it's already in production. So it's only for Greenfield scenarios or for scenarios where you have storage that's directly connected to your Exchange server or some sometimes for reviewing storage uh, devices, um, which I did once. Then you can use JetStress. For all the other things, use IOMeter, uh, which is also a nice tool. Okay. So, good. yeah, I used uh, JetStress uh, 2013 on a, a customer deployment a couple of weeks ago, and it was very straightforward. And made a lot of sense. I think it's uh, it's it's come a long ways, and it's definitely a great way to validate an environment before you get too far in and, and realize the hardware is not performing. Yeah, yeah, because it does not only measure the the IOs, but also uh, looks at the latency which it sees on the volumes, and right. that sometimes. Um, yeah, shows eye openers. Although you should uh, always discuss the uh, latency with your vendor of the storage, because we once had an issue, or well, was it an issue? We saw uh, a very high latency on the uh, OS uh, side using JetStress, but on the uh, storage side, there wasn't any latency. So the latency is always a bit which you can argue about and yeah you will contact need to contact the uh, the uh, the hardware vendor of the storage uh, about the latency we did had it with I think it was NetApp or something or one of the other vendors 
where we saw in with JetStress, we saw enormous amounts of um, latency while the IOs could be delivered by the system. Um, we looked at the NetApp and on the NetApp was, well, it, looks, it looked like it was sleeping because it didn't do anything. So we contacted both Microsoft and NetApp to clarify the issue and then Microsoft said, well, then in that case, the uh, storage vendor is leading. They can, they know what you can expect from their environment. So when performing these tests, always um, contact or the software or the storage vendor or attract somebody who's uh, responsible for the storage in the in your company. Absolutely, and and you'd be surprised, how, you know, what a little. A tweak of uh, a cache setting on your your uh, RAID controller or whatever the case may be can uh, can have quite the impact, and that yeah. becomes comes very visible when you're running uh, uh, jet stress. You can you can really see what the the change is going to do. Yeah, if you have time, play play with your yeah. storage settings and perform several jet stresses. You're amazed about what one change can can do with the, the results of jet stress. Yeah. And and it'll it'll point out too if you missed a setting, you know, if you if yeah. you make uh, certain settings on you know some virtual drives or uh, hard drive settings on the controller, and you miss it for one drive or something, you know, that's that's certainly going to show up in uh, in jet stress. And it's it's simple enough, you know, a lot of uh, a lot of applic- a lot of uh, uh, vendors like Dell and HP allow you to make uh, changes to those controller settings without having to reboot the server, and uh, you know, and then you can just. You know, run another uh, another jet stress for a few hours and, and see what the change uh, does. Yeah, very good. And um, you know, speaking of uh, of seeing how things are going and the status of things, uh, Andy Grogan, one of the MV- Exchange MVPs, uh, has uh, an application out called the Exchange 2013 DAG Status Dashboard. And uh, next segue. <laughs> yeah, and uh, John, you've uh, have you taken a look at this? I know I've uh, looked through the the uh, the information, but I haven't had a chance to test it out yet. Yeah, I'm actually going through the install uh, now. Actually, um, definitely, it's one of those ones where you just can't fire it up and um, like Steve script and just just works. There's there's actually an install. It's an, actually an application. Um, it does a few things, um, and it's important to know that it only works on 2012. Um, they recommend to put it on um, your one of your DAG nodes. But yeah, it looks very interesting. It goes out and it has kind of a real-time status of um, DAG health and some uh, DAG and file share, uh, DAG network and file share um, witness data, um, and um, uh, definitely worth checking out. But uh, like I said, just definitely read the uh, PDF that's included for instructions and get the prerequisites. Ultimately, what it's doing is just um, it's running as a service account, creates an app pool, um, and, and the interface is just a browser um, to kind of you know get to and see what the, uh, the contents are. But, um, you know, it's always good to see these kind of things uh, out there. Like I mentioned, uh, you know, Steve's uh, uh, environmental report, too, and Paul Cunningham's got a nice, um, you know, server exchange environment uh, script as well. But uh, uh, definitely good stuff. Uh, definitely worth, we have the link posted as well, but definitely look, worth checking out. But read the instructions because <laughs> it's more than just clicking the MSI and going, it looks like to me. <laughs> Okay, good. Yeah, it looks uh, looks very promising to see uh, you know a good snapshot of your DAG health uh, all in one uh, from the uh, the DAG yeah. itself to the networks and related components. Yeah, and it also looks at the component state too for for um, yeah, uptime for other components like RPC proxy and stuff too. So that's it's also really kind of a cool piece um, from what I'm seeing. Cool. And uh, speaking of uh, tools done by uh, Exchange MVPs. Uh, Jason Sherry, a former colleague of mine, has come up with uh, a tool that will allow you to clone a mailbox user. So if you have one user that you have set up and and uh, configured uh, uh, with specific parameters, you can use Jason's script to clone that user for uh, uh, kind of as a template and uh, and create new users based on that, including setting sending a uh, a welcome email message. So he's done a pretty good job of, uh, of working cool. on that and, uh, and added some really cool features. So we'll get a link to that uh, up on the summary page. And uh, switching to uh, the link side, um, Cisco is making a promise. Now, we've heard that before. But, uh, <laughs> Tom, what's going on with them this time? 
So, so cynical, Pat. So cynical. <laughs> Experienced, I like to say. <laughs> um, yeah. So, um, so some of you might know that in the the 2010 link integration with Cisco. Um, the way it works is you have a Cisco VCS, which is like their video gateway, um, and that could do H.263 out of the box to link, um, which is fairly low res but kind of worked. Um, and then they had an advanced media gateway, which is a pretty high-end uh, kind of expensive box that could do some RT video transcoding if you wanted high high def. Um, when Link 2013 switched to H.264, um, obviously that didn't work because there wasn't a native way to do H.264 SVC um, on the current Cisco VCS. So uh, at the moment, Cisco customers who use you know Tambergs or Telepresence and Link 2010 were a little bit stuck. Um, it's good to see now Cisco have uh, said that they're going to remedy that and they're going to support um, on their new VCS gateways um, H.264 SVC, which is what Link uses, um, through to H.264 AVC, which is what the room-based systems use. Um, so basically what that means is that you'll have an option from Cisco to have Link work between Link and um, the room-based systems that they produce. Okay. All right. So a little bit of hope there when you're in a mixed environment. Yeah. I mean, the reality is a lot of people are in mixed environments, and it's it's far from ideal. And if you can have endpoints that natively support Link, you know, like the HDXs from Polycom, or a, a bridge from Polycom, or potentially life size, um, that's possibly preferable. We'll, we'll see when the Cisco stuff comes out. Um, Cisco publicly are a rah rah on H.265, which is the next standard after H.264, and WebRTC. But um, clearly, customers are pushing back and saying we need Link Interop, which is a, a good thing for everybody. I think. Right, right. And you had you had mentioned. Um uh, how it was with Link 2010. There's a new uh, cumulative update out for Link 2010 as well. Um, but yeah, that's right. Yep, uh, CU9 for Link 2010, uh, July uh, 2013 cumulative update for Link 2010, I probably should say, <laughs> um, which is a bit of a mouthful, is out now. Uh, no major changes now, and we're obviously you know, coming to Bug CU9 fixes. is quite quite a way down the road now. Yeah, so nothing fancy like what we're seeing in uh, uh, the security update out for 2013. <laughs> How do you refer to that, Pat? Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, I uh, I love that update. Um, so if you haven't played with uh, the security update for Link 2013, uh, there's there's some pretty cool features added, including. Uh, something that's been asked about for a long time, and that is the ability to copy and paste an image in an instant message conversation. Um, yeah, yeah. about that one. You'd think that this, yeah, you, you think this was a big deal, but good lord, people, especially same time users, used to complain about this uh, environments that I have. So this is a huge, huge ad, actually. Even though it's a, you know, it's funny that it's taken forever to get this out, because but a lot of people have wanted this. Yeah, yeah and I've seen. I've, I was going to say, I've seen um, if if a sender has the update installed and the uh, the recipient does not, uh, it looks like it treats it as a file transfer yeah. to the uh, to the recipient. But for the for the sender, it still looks like they're copying pasting an image right into the to the IM window, which uh, which is good. So you've got uh, the ability to do it against people that haven't updated yet. Um, one of the other updates or one one of the other features that's added there is you now see a new tab at the top of your uh, client window and uh, looks like a little pie. And when you click on it, it shows you all your scheduled meetings for that day. And then you can simply click on those and bring those up and join those meetings, which is kind of a, a nice little touch. Um, and the other thing that I've I've heard of, which I haven't really looked at yet, is... Uh, now, when you're in a conversation um, that has uh, uh, a bunch of icons for all the the uh, speakers, uh, they're not they don't have to be stuck in the lower right window anymore or, or lower right corner. You can move them around now too. So, uh, if they're in the way, you have some flexibility with that. I haven't I haven't really tested that yet, but uh, I, I have seen some people really uh, glad that that uh, capability is there now. Yeah, no, it's a difficult. Actually, um, you know, it's it's important to read the little 
because it's not it's kind of not it's kind of confusing at first so it only you only see that join button um if if the meeting originated from your organization so if you if you get sent a meeting invite from another company you know even though you're federated or whatever you're not going to see that join button um at least that's what the documentation uh, documentation says and also you have to right click the little little line item to see the join buttons which doesn't make any sense to me personally but that's that's what you got to do or is it you hover i forget what it's either but the join button is not automatically there so even if you do have a meeting from you know uh, issued from your org um you may not see that little join button to either hover or i think you have to right click but it's in the documentation all right good good to know um and uh tom you had uh some more information for us this time with uh windows server 2012 support for link 2010 yeah, so this is the um, uh, finally Microsoft has come out saying that you can support Link 2010 um, in Active Directory uh, t- Server 2012. Um, so I didn't actually really clock on to the fact this wasn't supported, but I guess there's people. No, right. Uh, I'm sort of like on wait. That uh, <laughs> I never thought of that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I've been doing. Uh, I haven't done any production ones to be fair, just because none of our customers are, are that advanced with AD. It's not a particularly exciting thing to move forward. But in the lab, I've been doing it since. Uh, Server 2012 was kind of RC, RTM. So, um, yeah, but it's good to see now that's official. So if anybody is being held back from doing uh, AD 2012, um, and Server 2012 is really nice, to be fair, um, you can now do it and still be supported for Link. Yeah, that's good to know. I did not did not know that. It wasn't, wasn't supported. No, me neither. I guess, I guess I haven't tried, I guess. So. Well, the, 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 I think that uh, I had to look that up for, for Exchange 2010 as well. Uh, it is uh, supported, but uh, it's, it's those little things you have to check uh, always uh, when doing uh, using uh, the the uh, the newest version of uh, Windows Server and stuff. Yeah, I sure wish that that guy who makes that cool prerequisite script would would write it for two thousand and eight R two because boy, is it sure a hassle prepping to put the hey, link hey, on. Hey. <laughs> so I get that I get that question asked a lot. So I'll, I'll answer that publicly. And the reason why that script is, is written only for 2012 is because um, I'm trying to use just PowerShell v3. And uh, on 2008 R2, the default PowerShell version is uh, v2. And it doesn't make sense to upgrade to a newer version of PowerShell just to use a script that's supposed to install all the stuff to upgrade. So hopefully that makes sense. It's it's designed purely for PowerShell v3, so that's why it's not supported. No worries. <laughs> I, do, work, I, I, I get do. asked about that a lot. It's probably you spoiled us. That's the problem. Yeah, <laughs> I'm yeah. Too about lazy every, now. <laughs> about every other person well, that asked me asked that. Well, I, I should have used your script because I. I uh, well, because I'm studying for the Link 2013 exam, I uh, uh, I'm playing with uh, Link on uh, 20 uh, on Windows Server 2012, and it took me I don't know about two hours to get all the prereqs uh, correctly, because the, the the documentation and the um, um, uh, error message aren't very helpful. Yes. So, but I I want I was stubborn and I wanted to learn and stuff like that, so I didn't and there's didn't use. I, I can tell you the the exams really don't cover most of the stuff that's that the script automates. So you're you're not you're not cheating yourself from an exam perspective by by using the script. All right. Well, okay. <laughs> um, but uh, you know, talking about you know tools and things that uh, that people have come up with, uh, Matt Landis, who we've had on the uh, the podcast before, and is another uh, Link MVP. Uh, came out with a, a pretty cool tool called the uh, Link 2013 H264 Video Capability Checker Tool. Uh, that's that's a mouthful. Uh, but essentially what Matt's tool does is it will show you uh, the capabilities of your PC from a, a Link uh, H264 video uh, perspective. It will show you the max resolution um, and, and information like that. So if you have some question about what... Um, what your computer is capable of doing, um, you can you can use this quick little tool, and it'll give you all the information that uh, that you need. So hats off to Matt for for yet another oh, yeah. uh, cool tool. He is the man. Yeah. And uh, I think that just about does it for us for this episode. Kind of a short one, but 
certainly chock full of useful information. And we want to take a, a quick second to congratulate our own uh, Michael Van Hornbeek uh, for passing the MCSM process. Uh, no small Ooh. task, as I'm sure uh, John can uh, attest. <laughs> yeah, tell me about it. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, so um, Michael becomes the third member of our group to be an MCSM, and uh, and we're glad that you passed it, and uh, glad that you'll be back on with us uh, now that your brain is probably uh, uh, settling down from being crammed full of uh, of knowledge. So, uh, oh, kudos. And, and he and he he's probably well. He's the uh, first to have an exchange MVP and an uh, MCM. Yes, yes, um, that's true. Um, so, Michael, uh, congrats. Uh, now get to work editing this podcast. <laughs> so, so we want to remind you that the UC Architects are online. Visit our website at www.theucarchitects.com. On Twitter, at the UC Architects. Uh, visit our Facebook page, uh, facebook.com slash theucarchitects, and we have a group on LinkedIn. Our podcast episodes are available on our Windows Phone app, the iTunes Store, the Zoom Marketplace, and in your favorite RSS client like Outlook. See our website for links to everything. Uh, we'll see you back for the next episode with Steve Hosting. <laughs>